Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format helps you learn at your own pace and fit earning a degree into your life. From before you enroll to after you graduate, you'll be supported by people who are invested in your success so you can pursue your goals knowing that help is available if you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network. Today on the James Altucher Show. If someone's sitting listening to this, what should they start doing if they want to improve their network outside of their cubicle mates? I think the first thing is do that self-work. Just really try to dial in on who you are and where you want to go. Because if you don't have that right, you're never going to be able to get off first base. You've got to get that right before you. Your base has got to be strong on yourself first. This is fundamental. It takes a while. You've got to have patience to play this out. So give yourself the time and surround yourself with great people. I don't care if it's a plumber. I don't care if he's a construction worker. I don't care if it's a teacher. It doesn't matter. Just make sure they're just kind people. You plant lots of seeds. Some of those seeds will work out incredibly. And you have to start early because it doesn't work out a month later. It might work out 20 years later. That's the thing. Yeah. This episode of The James Altucher Show is brought to you by HP. With prices starting at $1,465, HP workstations enable you to innovate without boundaries, expanding as your workflow grows. And right now, you can get an exclusive offer just for my listeners. Get 15% off select HP workstations with Intel Core i5 processor when you go to hp.com slash altature and enter code altature at checkout. That's hp.com slash altature and enter code altature to get 15% off select HP workstations. This special discount is valid through July 31st. Whether you have a small business that is looking to grow or you're established and ready to take the next step, HP's workstations with Intel Core i5 processors are for you. Today's show is brought to you by a brand new sponsor. I'm so excited to have him on board. My new favorite luxury, introducing brooklinen.com high-quality sheets and bedding at a price that won't keep you up at night. It's the fastest-growing bedding brand in the world because people love these products. Their sheets have over 12,000 five-star reviews. I love my Brooklinen sheets. Try these sheets, and I know you'll love them too. In fact, Brooklinen is so confident that you'll love your new sheets that they offer a risk-free 60-night satisfaction guarantee and a lifetime warranty on all of their sheets and comforters. There's really no reason not to give these sheets a try. The only way to get $20 off and free shipping is to use promo code JAMES 
at brooklinen.com. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com, promo code James. Brooklinen, these are the best sheets ever. So I've got Scott Cohen here, a good friend of mine, plus the best business and professional and personal networker. I know he's networked his way from, you, you came to New York City with scratch, right? With zero. I did, yeah. And I've known you for a long time, like 12 years, something like that, or longer. I invested in one of your hedge funds. We've worked on a ton of deals together. You, I have watched you personally network your way to tens of millions of dollars through businesses you started, people you know, and you're not a natural entrepreneur. I would say it's more like your networking ability. Like, I just want to tell a story. One time I was sitting in your apartment. It was like a Sunday night at eight o'clock. You're like, rush in. Okay, you were just at some networking event. You change into a suit and you rush out. You're going to some wedding party of some, you know, huge family. You're just networking seven days a week. So that's how you do it. Well, welcome to the show. Thank you. Heard a lot about this show. It's good to be here. So first, I have to apologize to you. This is not like the normal apology. When I threw out all of my possessions, uh, uh, I was sitting in a restaurant. I literally had one bag. My brain was shot for various reasons. And I just called you and said, I just don't even have a place to stay. And you said, come and stay at my place. I stayed there for months. And then I moved out. I felt really bad. I didn't want to keep abusing your friendship. You had another place. You were staying at a part of the time. I, didn't, I felt like I was like abusing the friendship by staying in your place just for free for months at a time. And then uh, I didn't call you back afterwards. And I felt really bad. You were calling like, what's going on? And I didn't call you back. And I kept thinking, okay, I'm feeling so bad about this. I'm just going to postpone the pain until tomorrow and call him back then. <laughs> and then tomorrow would come and you'd send another message, what's going on? And then I would say, this is too painful. I'm going to call him back tomorrow. <laughs> and then after a few weeks, like a friend of mine said, you're never calling him again, are you? And I said, I want to call him, but I'm just feeling too bad now. I don't know. How, I'm very non-confrontational. And so I don't know if other listeners are like this. If you are, tweet about it. I don't know, Scott, if you're, I don't think you're like this because you just go right into a situation and you're not really afraid of confrontation because it just blows off your back. That's how you're such a good networker. But I apologize for not calling you back. That's part of the reason why is that I felt so bad all the time. And then I felt really horrible. So this is the first time we're seeing each other since the- Since I moved out. Since you moved out. I I, I might even call it- It's like almost a year. Could be a breakup. Could be similar to a breakup. Yeah, it's kind (laughs) of like that. Well, you were sometimes staying in the apartment and I was- you know, you had, it was a huge place, right? So, and I, I usually I don't talk this much at the beginning of the podcast. I'll let you talk in a second. But uh, my kids, their uh, parents read all my material. And so their f- friends were coming up to them uh, and saying, you know, Josie, is your daddy homeless? And so Josie would come and visit the apartment, which was your apartment. It was this huge place. It's like you have a three-story bookcase. She'd climb on the ladder and she's like, daddy, you're not homeless at all. <laughs> and you'd sometimes stay in the apartment and I would say to you, Scott, like, you know, we're two men in our, <laughs> we're 48 years old. Like, you know, are we, it's like we're, it's like we're the odd couple or something. And you're like, yeah, it's great. <laughs> but yeah, it was like, we were, we were hanging out, you know, pretty intensely. And then, uh, and then I moved out and then I just felt so bad. I never called you back. I really am sorry. 
Apolo- it's a really sincere apology. Well, I will I don't say, know if I can be forgiven. You are forgiven. And it's a real, it's kind of surreal sitting here with you right now because it feels like it was like a divorce, breakup, whatever you want to call it. But we just got separated. I was upset. You were upset. And we just... But I wasn't upset at you. No, it was just an awkward, it was an awkward moment in time. And so I figured because I'm so awkward, the only way I could really apologize (laughs) is on my podcast. Like if we record it on my podcast. (laughs) Now, there's valuable information you have, but I wanted to get that through that. I have two questions before we start. Sure. What was in the bag of the bag of possessions? It was your only bag. Yeah, my only bag. And where is the bag today? So my my only possessions were basically three outfits. Um, whenever I got rid of like a shirt or a pair of pants, I'd buy a new one. <laughs> and like, remember we went to the laundromat once on like 21st street, I went with you. Yeah. I've never picked up the clothes <laughs> since then. It's like a year over a year ago. I passed by there yesterday. I'm thinking, you know, I still think I have clothes in there. I don't know if they keep it for that long. <laughs> and, uh, right now I'm Airbnb on 29th and park till the end of this month. So it's just Fantastic. not that far away, really. Well, for the record, I'd like all James's fans to know that he's one of the greatest roommates you could ever have. He makes I try no, to make things spotless he's every day. Spotless. You can't hear him when he wakes up. He tells great stories. We have phenomenal discussions that could last hours about everything you could possibly imagine, from business to science to love to relationships. Um and um and he makes no mess. So he did only bring, I think, two shirts and yeah. uh, a couple letters and a couple things i actually brought with me today because i wanted to give them back because just before i stepped on yeah because i think i left a coat there's a coat and there's some baseball cards and also there's some baseball cards in there and also there's um a two dollar bill that's been framed of some sort so i brought Ah. a couple of these and i I brought your jacket back too so they're in this bag two dollar bill framed is i believe it but I'm trying to remember what it is. There are a lot of $2 bills for whatever reason in that drawer. I collect $2 bills. Ah, That's I see. Why do you collect $2 bills? Well, so you're interviewing me. This is fine. <laughs> uh, I collect $2 bills because if you move into a new area, which when you're airbnb a lot, you, you move into a lot of new areas, you have your local cafe, you want them to remember you. If I tip with $2 bills, or let's say I date and I pay entirely with $2 bills, no one ever forgets you. So $2 mm. bills are magic. They never forget. If you put $2 bills into their local economy, they never forget you. Well, know that that drawer that you... He had one drawer, by the way. One drawer. That's all he took up. And it's stocked with $2 bills. So really? All they're right. Still there. Good. Good. <laughs> they're still there. And one is in this bag here. So Now, what are, you, what are you doing? You had the other apartment on 16th Street, which, by the way, you got as they were built. So this is your networking ability. We're, we'll start to segue into mm-hmm. that. But you knew the developers of this one building. You had already had your first. So, so, so first, I want to say, I your networking is so good. One of the reasons we know each other is I've helped you a little with your success. I invested in one yeah. of your initial or one of hedge your hedge funds, fund. and I've written about various deals you've been in, and the stocks have gone up. And I never personally benefited, but you did very well. And. Um, uh, you you also knew the developer of this one building, and before he even started building, you made sure you got like the the top floor, the entire top floor for yourself. And true. it's done very well. It has done very well. It was, it was I had my eye on that neighborhood. I had a, I was just riding up the elevator that, that it happened to be that their office was in our office building, so they were on the top floor of this uh, midtown um, office building. 
And he wrote up, he said, hey, we just, our, the AG just approved our building. We can now sell units. I said, I just continue the ride all the way to the top. Got out of the elevator, he showed me the plans. I said, I'll take it. He goes, what? I said, I'll take it. And that was it. We wrote up a deal right there. And about 10 minutes later, I was going back down to the 26th floor. They were on the 30th floor. And uh, I now have a beautiful apartment, which you've been to. Yeah, I've, I've stayed in that one. I've stayed <laughs> yes. there. That's one of the places I stayed at. It's a phenomenal apartment. Uh, apartment. It's a wraparound. You have views of the entire city. There's no buildings around it as tall. So it's views of the entire city and New Jersey. And uh, at least through the back, right? You could see New Jersey and maybe the Statue of Liberty. You can see 360 degrees around yeah. the city. Yeah. And um, uh, last I saw on one fine stay, you were renting it out. Yeah. Um, and, and they knew me too, right? They knew you. Yes, they certainly did. Um, but today... Um, I've just got both apartments going back and forth between those two places. And now I opened up the house out in Sag Harbor. So that's opened. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm somehow going to make it all work. Wait, so you, you, what do you mean you opened it? Like Meaning I had it closed for basically nine months. So okay. just getting ready for the season. So. Are, you, are you going to sell it? Um, no, I don't think I am. I'm okay. going to keep it. I just put together a whole new um, patio, pool, and... The money pit continues. It gets deeper and deeper, but I'm but, enjoying it. I'm going to enjoy it this year for sure. And but all this, so so basically you came to New York. Is it true you really came with totally nothing? Yeah, I might have had less possessions than you when you came to my apartment about a year plus ago. Yeah. I, I had nothing. I mean, I really had, I had a smile. You're from, you were I, from Ohio. I, you didn't, did you know people in New York? I went to school at the University of Ohio. And uh, no, I didn't know. I, I knew one person a little, I had a relationship with him in high school. So I feel like you have no problem just basically 24-7 going out. I mean, you would throw dinners, you would go to dinners. Every time you went out, you would like bring people together. You would mm. introduce people. Nothing ever bothered you. Like people would be arguing and fighting, and you would like just be like, "Hey, it's all good." <laughs> and and that's how you you became like the nexus, the center of all these different groups and circles of people. And I mean, I would go to a party you would throw. There would be professional basketball players, beauty contest winners, <laughs> hardcore business guys, like the top guy from Goldman Sachs or whatever hedge fund managers, reporters, just everybody would be there and you would network them all together how they could help each other. It's really one of my, literally one of my favorite things to do is bring people who would never normally get together and put them all in a room and have just enjoy stories and um, conversations and make friends with people that you wouldn't normally get to meet on a day-to-day. You're one of them. Yeah, and I, and I think that's, I think that's a skill like when you were CEO, so you were CEO of the oil company, and I've written about it before, Petro River. You were CEO of it. I don't think you're as good as a CEO. It's when you hired a real operator that that one took off. You're just better. I don't want to say just because it's even a more valuable skill. You're better at really just connecting all the dots. Yeah, I think if I look back at kind of what I've done, um, accomplished from a business standpoint, it's really been a dot connector at the end of the day. Um, connecting buyers with sellers, connecting people with other people, connecting operators with capital, capital with operators. That's so um, valuable because like, I look at your, again, I've known you through various incarnations. I look at your hedge fund, which I invested in in 2004 from my fund of hedge funds. Rich Abbey was really the operator. That guy is like a, a brain on legs. He is. And you're not a hedge fund operator like he is, but 
you still find the deals, the capital, you put it all together, right? Yeah. You put that fund together, basically. In fact, one of my least favorite things to do is to operate. Um, it's boring. It's, yeah, and, and also particularly that hedge fund because Richard does did a great job. And for me, it just was not interesting at all. He, he was very good at the details of that and dealing with all the bankers and brokers. So you came here with nothing. What happened next? Like, How did you start connecting even one dot with another? Yeah, so um, my first start, and when I was grabbing things for this interview, um, I just went to my bookshelf and grabbed a couple things. Like I actually brought the notebook of the day that I started in New York. Um, you, do you keep a diary or a notebook? Uh, yeah, I keep a diary. I didn't every, know that. A, every day. Um, I keep a diary of what I'm doing, what I'm planning on doing, um, what my thoughts are. Um, so in 1994, I came to New York with literally nothing. And do you write and down like, here's who I met, here's what I learned from them, so this way later you could refer to it? Here's the incredible thing as I look back, and only recently I'm looking back because I'm trying to, I look back and there's been a lot of stuff has happened. And you're losing your memory. <laughs> and I'm losing my memory. Um, and it's pretty amazing how like, for instance, that hedge fund, um, some of the first investors, um, well, the first business I started when I was 29 was at uh, investment banking, uh, merchant bank uh, called Vertical Ventures. And when that, um, those seed investors were all families. So I was 29 years old. There was 12 families that invested in that merchant bank and I had no background really. And with So were you working for them or you started it? No, no, I just started it. So how did you get the initial investors? How did you find them? I knew one person that led me to another person led me to another person. How did you meet that first person? The first again, per you came yeah. here with nothing. Yes. Um, Mark Bellsberg, you might know Sam Bellsberg. He was, uh, um, Milken wrote about him and, and, and um, Den of Thieves. So again, by the way, that's very classic you, which is that you meet somebody who's related to somebody who yeah. knows Michael Milken so I think yeah. you're, you, I think a lesson from there is it's not like you're kind of connecting the dots with random people in a bar like on Fifth Street or whatever. You're, you put yourself in situations where you're meeting Sam Bellsberg who's related to this Bellsberg who's related, who worked for Michael Milken. Right. Sam's daughter was married to Matthew Broffman. Matthew Broffman introduced me to... Whose dad owned Universal. Yes. And uh, the Bronfman business, C, what is it, C something? Um, Seagram's. Seagram's. <laughs> And then that um, and introduced me to William Lauder. Um, and so Estee was, Lauder. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Barry Sternlich was part of that group. Um, Which is Tony a Starwood. Star, well, he started Starwood. Uh, Tony Malkin, whose family owns the Empire State Building. It was just a bunch of random families. Um, and um, it, and the Wolfson family, of course. And, and, and through those relationships. Those, but how would you meet them initially? Like, why would they trust you but, into their fold? <laughs> I think that's, they, a, that's I a, an think hour crowd sort of fold. They saw, they must have saw something in me that wanted to make them invest or gave them the confidence that I was going to deliver. They just wanted to see what would happen. They just bought a small ticket to see if it was going to what would come of it. How'd you initially meet? Um, like, how, if someone comes to New York, I'm, I'm basically trying to lay out the map. If someone comes to New York and says, "Boy, I want to be like this guy Scott," what should they do? What should they should they start looking at social events to go to, or what should they do? So. Look, the um, there's no social events. I didn't. I actually never went to a networking event or a social event. It was just all. I guess as I look back, just instinct. So let's even go a step further than that. But let's go to day one because um, I actually have the book that, that. Like just looking at it, I was laughing this morning as I grabbed it. 
So when I actually started cold calling, right, because all I had, I didn't have anything. I was just got a job as a cold caller at Oppenheimer in 94. Um, I was cold calling the first um, group of people I was cold calling. I just You could sell anything. You could sell Microsoft sock. You could sell mutual funds. You could sell bonds. You could sell whatever you wanted, whatever you thought would be attractive for a client to trust you with their money so you can manage their money as a broker. Just that that was the business. So I decided to focus on Indian radiologists, cold calling Indian radi- radiologists. I bought a book. I was and I was going to sell them the hedge fund. Um, I'm sorry, the Indian hedge fund that was just launching was going to be an IPO. So I was going to call Indian dot radiologists marketing the India fund, and I did that. And I opened. Oh, um, don't most people hang up? Like, what's the secret of cold calling? Um, sorry to interrupt. Like, I just I can't imagine cold calling. Two hundred and fifty dollars a day, eighty connects, ten leads, one close every single day. Discipline. That's it. That, that's the form, that's, that's the, the ratio. Just stick in there. That's how you do it. So like, you call up and say, "Hey, have you ever thought about you're say, from India? Have you ever thought about <laughs> investing in an India fund?" <laughs> um, may I speak to Dr. Sharma? Because I had a like of the Indian is yes, Dr. Sharma, please. Who is this? Scott Cohen from Oppenheimer. We have a fund. Um, does he know you? No, but I'm with Oppenheimer. It's an Indian fund. We're doing an IPO. Could he? Could I? Could, is he, if he's interested, have him call me back. Here's my number. Seventy percent of these radiologists call me back. Really? And about, Why? They just they wanted to invest in India, and okay. I figured I just and obviously they had money. Okay. So, so you gave them a little bit of a reason, like you're. I Indian, just called the secretary. Here's an India fund. Yeah, yeah that so, was it. So if you would call them and said, "Hey, we have a tech IPO," they probably wouldn't have called back. Yeah, they wouldn't have. Yeah. So I had like a 50% closing ratio in my first 45 days of work. Did I, you ever lie or, or misrepresent and say, well, I'm thinking of doing some dental, uh, like radiology work? <laughs> no, <laughs> so, not at all. So the doctors would get on the phone. They'd call me back and say, this is Dr. Sharma or Dr. Patel. I'm calling, you call my office about the Indian fund. say, yeah, we're doing an IPO. How many shares would you want? You want 25,000 shares, 10 shares? What would you want? And I just had, all of a sudden, I had 50 new radiologist doctors that were all new clients in Probably like less than twenty days. Wow! So you would they would say, okay, let me consider. You would fax them the paperwork. No, they would just say, give me ten thousand, put them for ten thousand, twenty five thousand, whatever the amount they wanted, and they were calling. That's it. And I sent them the prospectus, and they'd send the money, and that was it. They were I had twenty five clients or fifty clients in twenty days. I did the exact same thing with Russia. So this fund was so it was just a retail fund for the most part. I think Oppenheimer raised like three hundred million dollars almost in forty five days, maybe two months. Then they, with that success, they decided to launch something um, called the Czech Republic, or the Czech Republic Fund. And I was calling. I decided to do the same strategy. I'm going to call. I bought a lead list of um, business people that were doing business in Eastern Europe um, that were in the United States. So it, they had last names that reflected Eastern European. So from Czech Republic, they were from Russia. Where can you find a lead list like now? Oh, good. Oh, there's. I don't know because I haven't found yeah. one. I haven't asked for one in a long time. And I'm sure they're yeah. more prominent than they ever have because because the internet and stuff. Yeah. Could, I'm sure you could find it there. It was tough back then. Like I just had to somehow somebody gave me the name as somebody that could buy specialized leads or whatever. And I would just look at the last names. Um, and you had no fear cold calling. Just you did it 250 times a day. You get used to it. You get a, you build a skill. I'm gonna blow your mind with this story. And it's gonna come back to a call that I had. I was driving to Hamptons on Saturday. Here we go. Okay. So cold called about hundreds of these people, then decided that I was going to rent the consulate in Washington, D.C. for the Czech, uh, the Czech consulate. So I cold called all these Eastern European businessmen, took, called the portfolio manager at Oppenheimer. I'm, I'm two months in the business, I, two and a half months in, at, at New York. That's still nothing in the bank. Nothing. I mean, yeah. totally nothing. Well, I had some proceeds from the India fund that mm-hmm. I had made, but I was paying back the loan. Like, they gave me $3,000 a month for two months draw. Uh, so I was paying that back, but then 
Um, so you're working on no salary, just commission. No salary. Yeah, yeah. no salary. And um, set up this meeting in Washington where I had probably 100 businessmen come to Washington, D.C. And all of a sudden, I had relationships with all these pretty prominent, savvy operators um, that were from Eastern Europe living in the United States. And I wrote a whole bunch of business for these guys investing in the check fund. Now, of course, both the check fund and the Indian fund did horribly in the first ten, you know, the first couple of days, and the stock went right down. I was did not know what to do. I was were like, people calling you because it goes yeah, down according to the fees? Right? Yeah, they, people didn't. Under, I didn't understand it myself. I just got in the business. But what came out of that? People started hearing I was an emerging market specialist. Uh-huh. And if I talk too much, just drop stop no, me. No, no, but that's interesting too. So, uh, you know, I had this conversation with someone else recently that essentially nobody is really an expert. But when you start doing something long enough, everyone else calls you an expert. That's exactly right. And so what happened? I get a phone call from somebody from Arkansas saying that they're, well, one of the brokers had connected me with one of their clients who was from Arkansas to saying that they were interested. They heard I was connected in Eastern Europe. Did I have contacts there? And could I help them with these overseas private investment corp OPIC loans? Do you have any well, what relationships? What do you mean? Like uh, they wanted to loan into Eastern Europe? They wanted to buy that debt. Mm-hmm. I didn't know anything about this. I'm like, mm, I have. Uh, let me make call one of my guys. So I called Doctor Serge Jemansky, who I just met ten days ago, ten days prior, and he said, "Yeah, I can help you with that." Caterpillar, IBM, they were issuing, they were selling their equipment, their computers to Russia, and the overseas private investment corp was guaranteeing it. Well, I said, I called the guy back. His name is Roy Jemansky. I said, Roy. Yes, this um, something that my contacts are saying they could do. And he goes, great, I'm going to call you back. Calls me back and says, the owner of my bank called Llama Bank in Arkansas would like to meet you. I said, okay. Her name is Alice Walton. I said, okay. So, so, so daughter of, the oldest daughter of Sam, Sam Walton? Mean, meant nothing to me. He goes, she's very wealthy, very prominent. She's, this is a big priority for her. I said, okay. So meet me in Washington. Well, I was from Washington, so that was easy. So I met them, her and Roy in Washington 10 days later. And she said, "You look." she first commented to me, was like, you look rather young. Are you sure you could do this business? And of course, I was so confident. I was like, yeah, of course I can. We know the people that are buying the computers. We know people that are buying the Caterpillar equipment. So, so wait, so two months after you're in New York, you're meeting a woman who's worth at that time probably $15 billion. And just because you had established yourself through 6,000 phone calls into the Eastern European community as a specialist, but you did in fact have value because you were able to call a bunch of people and say, okay, yeah, we have these loans. We can repackage for you. Three weeks later, I'm on a flight to Russia with no money. In the, I had no money. I'm never, I forget, I had to buy a round trip ticket, which couldn't change it. Of course, it was $700. I was like, and the rooms were $300 a night in Russia, in Moscow. This is like, what is this, like 1995, I guess, 1994. It's a dangerous place to be. I didn't realize at the time. And yeah. so she sends the number one, two, and three into Russia to meet me. They had never been there. I had never been there. Um, I was a little nervous. I didn't know. I had barely traveled around the world. Because you're the expert and you're bringing, you know, Alice Walton's number one, two, and three. Yeah. And like, oh, here's some things you can do here. And all of a sudden, um, we, and I'll never forget. So Roy meets me in Moscow and I had to ask Roy once he got there, I said, hey, this is unusual, but would you mind if I stay in your room with you? He goes, what? <laughs> I said, I just don't have, this is $300 a night here. I don't have the money to stay. Would you mind? He goes, that's a very unusual request. And so he let me, he put, I put a cot in his room and I stayed there. Um, and um, our first meeting was the next day. 
And long story short, it didn't work out too well. The, the meetings were not, the first couple of meetings had gone, they weren't really what I thought they'd be. They got frustrated at Lama and went back to Arkansas almost the next day. Well, I couldn't change my return ticket because it was just too expensive. So why, I stayed. Why didn't they work it out? Why, why didn't? I tried well, to. Well, like most things don't work out. Yeah, it just, it just like the meetings weren't what they were supposed to be. I had other meetings. I was winging it. I was mm-hmm. just winging right. it. Um, but the most interesting thing about that, and this is where it comes to Saturday, I met, um, Serge had introduced me to um, a good friend of his, well, a guy that he was doing some business with as a second contact. Because it was like, Serge, I'm in Moscow. I'm here alone. These guys just left. I got four more days. I, I, I can't, you know, what am I going to do? And so I found a very cheap hotel room, which later to find out it was super dangerous. I should have known that when there was a metal detector when I came into the lobby. But I just went into this hotel and stayed there for four days until I could get my ticket back to Moscow. I'll never forget that turn. It was an Aeroflight flight. And as soon as that airplane got lifted off, the bottles of vodka and the cigarettes, these guys were lighting up. I still remember it was like, yes, it was like a party on that airplane. Because that's the, that's the, that was the Russian airline. There was a Russian airline at the time and there was no drinking or smoking laws. I mean, these guys were just, it right. was a full, and I was way in the back by the bathrooms. But what's but interesting a, though is you stayed, so things didn't work out with the, the Walton 1, 2, 3 and the deals you had set up, but you decided you're going to stay there and keep trying to find deals. So I met a guy named Bobby Mashoya. How? Because Serge introduced me, said, meet this guy, Bobby Mashoya. He's the one that's bringing um, illiquid securities to Goldman Sachs so Goldman can sell them to their clients in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Nizhny Novgorod, Spurbank, um, UES, the big utilities. So, so they the were like company. public companies in Russia, but there was no real exchange. At that time, yeah. Bobby would go with, and he went to school here in the States, but he went back. He was Russian. He went back to, um, they would drive with a armed car, right? And they would bring rubles for, do, for, for shares. The, the workers were just given securities, um, these shares. They didn't know what they were. They never had this before. The market had just started. And Bobby would exchange the rubles for the, the shares of these companies. Super cheap. Super cheap. Bobby would sell it to Goldman Sachs, and then Goldman would sell it to, at the time, Chris Bremner ran the emerging market fund at Oppenheimer. Now, I happened to meet somebody who worked in Chris's office. They had heard I worked in Russia, and they had heard I just went there. And they asked me if I could help them get these illiquid stocks. And they gave me a list of them. Without so I, having to go through Goldman. Right. You were getting them directly. Because Goldman was, mar- Bobby was buying them for 5 or $6, let's say. And Goldman was marking up to 20 to Chris. So I just cut it right down, right, I mean, by 80% and deliver those shares to Chris through my connections to Bobby. And Bobby, you'll love this part, James. I, I You don't know this. <laughs> but Bobby took the commissions. I couldn't earn the commissions. It was 20 years ago. I, was, it was just, I wasn't able to earn commissions. But Bobby's like, look, I'm going to do something nice for you. I was like, okay, whatever that means. I just said, just take it. Whatever you want to do with it. I don't care. It doesn't matter what it is. He goes, well, Scott. Well, that's an important point, though. You basically are more, you were placed more value on the connections you were building. That's why it didn't matter it to didn't you. didn't matter to me. What commission you were getting which I think people get too absorbed in money. Money is the final side effect of good relationships and, and doing all the work you were doing. The hard work is connecting Alice Walton to this person, connecting the Oppenheimer guys to this person. That's the hard work. If you could do that enough, you'll get money is the side effect at the end. You didn't need anything up front. Yeah, and and I just right. I was so excited that I was actually felt like it was going the right direction. Meanwhile, I still have all these Indians and Eastern Europeans that are like calling me, asking me about their funds in this in this uh, mutual fund. But then what happened was Bobby took the money and put it. He started a, his own fund 
mm-hmm. called Quorum. And uh, and he invested, and in, I didn't know what he was investing. I didn't care. I was just he's like, hey, I'm taking this money. It's what X. I'm just investing in my new fund. I said okay. It's supposed to be a Russian fund. Years to, and I keep seeing the statements and the money just it was growing every year. And I, I never called him back. I just forgot about it actually because I didn't. I just it wasn't on my mind. I, was, I think my I remember this. Like, I think well, I think I remember because you got. It's like twenty years later. Okay, continue the story. It turned out, and this work gets very current. It turned out he invested his biggest investment was a company called Mail.ru, which is yeah. DST. Yuri Miner was the guy behind that. He went to I think he went to business school with Bobby at Columbia or at the, at, the, at at Penn. Not positive, but um, it turned and Yuri, out. Yuri's like in every internet deal in the world, pretty much. So, I get my statement a decade later. Okay, and it's a big number on there. And I said, Bobby, what the hell? What have you done? Like, what did you do? Like, Russia hasn't been that good. I mean, it was decent through those years. It turned out Yuri Miner was a seed investor in Facebook. And we had Facebook through DST, through Mail.ru. And it was at the very, very, very early rounds. And Bobby took a big P. He was one of the first into DST or Mail.ru. And it propelled the returns, like ridiculous returns. So that little stub commission check from dealing with delivering illiquids from that visit that I took to Russia via Alice turned into basically a f- seed investment in Facebook. So, 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 okay. So let's <laughs> unpack. It was a random way and it took me a decade to figure that out. I just, it just unpacked it actually fairly recently. Well, well, and that was what I was going to use. Let's unpack this for a second. So you're in the town for two months. You're, you're sleeping on the floor in Russia in a random hotel room and trying to put together a deal two months after you arrive for Alice Walton, one of the richest people in the country, maybe the richest woman in the country. And um, you got in that because of the cold calling made you an Eastern European specialist. And then you made some more calls to figure out how you could justify that claim. You're in Russia. The deals fail, which is, you would think would be like, oh God, I wasted my trip. But instead, you stay an extra four days to meet to, and you, you push everyone you know to find someone else to meet. You meet this guy who has this extra ability of finding these illiquid shares. You can't take the commissions. You don't want them. You never see the money. You, he just pli- you know, piles it back into the fund he's starting. So it's like a random thing. He knows another random guy that he's connected with through school, gets you into Facebook. How much do you think he put in for you into his fund? And this is 1994, 95. Jeez. I'm guessing it was a couple hundred thousand dollars. I'm guessing. So he put a couple hundred thousand, which is, by the way, that was incredible. That you, because I guess you you put together so much liquid I securities. Think so. Yeah, he just you kept could, accruing it. But you couldn't take the money from that because right. you weren't an official broker. That's, or well, yeah, and it was, and it's yeah, regulated. It was illiquid stocks, and it was Russia, and I it wasn't what I was supposed to be doing. <laughs> right, and so so what did that? So so to I think you stayed in that fund right until recently. Like he yeah, just he just wound um, down the fund a, no, a no, year no, no. ago. He's still um I don't know. I think he's got B and C shares now. It's still going, but obviously he didn't have another Facebook. So it has So this is not how you made your money, because you only cashed out on this like recently. Yeah. That like, pretty I, much well, I would just say that I don't even know how many years, probably three years ago or so. Two, so two, so, two, so two, how much two. did you make on that? Oh, I don't like. I don't remember. It was you remember, it was on. very substantial for me at the at, it 
Yeah, it was substantial. It was right. it was multiples, obviously, of right. that original amount of money. Right, that's but great. That wasn't really. I mean, I had already launched the hedge fund and the private equity fund and done a lot of things. Right, like this is on the this side is, almost. This like is a yeah, random pretty thing. much. It was a nice gift. It was, I've had several. I've had the privilege of having beautiful gifts in my life. Well, um, I remember. From, I even wrote about this a year ago uh, when it happened. I remember you got like some mail. And you had forgotten about a fund that you and Rich had yeah. invested in in the 90s. You totally forgotten you were invested. And they called you, the guy called you and said, oh, Scott, I have to tell you we're winding down our fund. And you felt bad for him. You're like, oh, okay, I'm sorry to hear that. And you forgot you were an investor. And yeah. then he sends you the check. He actually called Rich and said, you and Scott have been one of the, we're winding it down. You and Scott have been one of our best investors. You guys never called. You never asked a question. Rich, I think, said to me, like, we were both laughing because we both had completely forgot that we invested in it. And uh, it was a fantastic uh, return. I don't remember what it was, but it was another, like, multiples of whatever we put in. So, it was so, like a- <laughs> so I, think the, I think the lesson there is you got to plant a lot of seeds Definitely. with good people. Oh, for sure. And not all of them are going to work out. Like That's even right. with Alice Walton, it didn't work out, at least initially. I'm sure you kept the connection and have more stories, but uh, that initial outreach to a successful person did not work out for you. You turn it into something that did work out, but you plant lots of seeds. Some of those seeds will work out incredibly. And you have to start early because it doesn't work out a month later. It might work out 20 years later. That's the thing. Yeah. Um, so just to bring it current to Saturday, I'm on the phone with one of Yuri's guys on Saturday. Um, there's a One company- of Yuri's guys because now you're it now you're all you kept networking that. It's not like it's not like yeah, it's a, I did I wasn't intentional, but I had an idea. I was reading about Yuri investing in Xiaomi. Xiaomi is one of the handset manufacturers in China that's trying to take a shot at Apple, at least it was in the papers a lot, that they were lacking patents. Well, it just so happens, one of my most prized investments and something I really cherish was helping Acacia uh, really get capitalized. And they went on to become a multi-billion dollar market cap patent. Some people call them patent trolls, but they were a force in the patent world and licensed over $800 million worth of patent either litigation or settlements. And I maintained a great relationship with Rob Stewart there. He's now the CEO and president. They still sit on a huge, a massive portfolio and about $175 million of cash. It's Acacia Research. And I went back to Rob just recently because I, I was in China with the Acacia Group seeing if we could license some of Acacia's patents to Xiaomi to give them... Okay, and, and I'm sorry to interrupt. I, 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 I hate to interrupt mid-sentence, but I just want to unpack that a little bit. <laughs> This is another thing I've noticed. <laughs> Someone calls you and says, "Scott, can you be in China tomorrow? Uh, we're gonna we're gonna meet with Xiaomi about patents." Well, I actually asked Acacia to meet me in China because I was already doing business with the state there. Well, I was but, doing the oil business with China. But, but I've noticed this several times. You just get on a plane and go to China <laughs> if there's a meeting to go to, um, and then you'll figure out. And then right away, we learn something new. You then you'll figure out other meetings to that's, do while that's, you're in China. And I'm in I'm in I'm in meetings with Acacia with um, Huawei. And because Acacia was suing them, uh, they had 19 litigations, uh, 19 lawsuits against Huawei. I'm in, um, I forget the other, ZTE. I'm in the meetings with the executives of those companies where we're trying to get something done. Acacia just had me in the middle of all this stuff. I just, it, that stuff takes a long time, but just to bring it current, the guys from a friend of mine that's close with the DST guys said, hey, those patents, what kind of patents does Acacia have? So just now we're just, back in discussions of what patents might be appropriate for 
that some particular some companies um, that DSD has a position in. So it just brings it right back around to something I was doing. I'm well, it's kind of chuckling about it this weekend because I hadn't thought about DST since the Facebook investment. Like it's just completely random. But okay, but that's interesting too. It's so much stuff. <laughs> I think you. It's sort of like. I'll tell you an example. When I was talking to Tony Hawk, you know, the world champion skateboarder mm-hmm. for 13 years in a row, if I asked him, how'd you get good at skateboarding, you know, which is like kind of a dumb, naive question, he really has no clue because it was like so built into mm-hmm. him, he can't answer that question. You're kind of like 10 steps ahead on the networking here and I'm trying to, um, uh, not not in a bad way, like you're doing your thing. I'm trying to understand every step of the way I what see. you did. And so so DST, like you just said, you hadn't talked to them since the Facebook days. They're the biggest internet investor in the world, pretty much. I mean, they they piggyback, for instance, every Y Combinator investment. They're all over Silicon Valley right now because of the Facebook investment. But, uh, and you met them. You so far, as far as I know, you didn't meet them. You I only through Bobby Mishoya. Yeah, he had a college. His Yuri was his college Correct. friend or whatever. That's right. So how do you get on the phone then, fifteen years later or twenty years later with I the guy who works for Yuri? I just can't explain that. That's just too. It's just you I, must have done little. I said, you, I'll tell you what. I'll, t- I'll tell you what happened because me, I knew it was lacking patents because it was all over the press. Right. And they're make, trying to make a big push. They're getting sued in India. They can't get in India. They can't get in the United States. So I knew Acacia had the portfolio that could offer them some protection and maybe even give them some offense and defense. And so that's how it restarted. And then recently, Xiaomi is having a hard time. They're having a hard time globalizing the business, not even doing as well as China that they thought they'd be doing. So they need to get out of China and go to places like the US and India. Right, because in the US, they'll care about patents. In China, they don't necessarily. You got it, so... They got so, it. So, so, so Xiaomi has a problem. Uh, they go to Acacia, which you're involved in. And by the way, I remember I wrote about Acacia in 2007 as a stock to, to buy or 2006. Like they were always like a great, they're in, Philadelphia, they're in Pennsylvania, right? No, they're in Newport Beach, California. Okay, I thought for, her, for a while they were in Pennsylvania, but I could be thinking of it's different a, thing. Look, I mean, and now they've gotten more focused. Rob Stewart's running it. and um, But how did you then call the DST guy who worked for Yuri 50, 20 years later? I didn't even... <laughs> A guy that I played tennis with and and became friends with, I knew he he told me he was close with them at DST, and I was thinking, well, DST put a lot of money into Xiaomi. It was in the press. Let him know that if he ever wants any help with Xiaomi, um, we could probably give them a, an awful good strategy with regards to coming to the U.S. and maybe some other markets. Let me know when that conversation when they're ready to have that conversation. Let's stop to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Shifted into high gear with prices starting at $1,465. HP workstations offer maximum performance through unique technologies, allowing you to go beyond the basics to maximize your productivity and make IT management easy. Can I just say how happy I am to have HP as a sponsor of this podcast? HPZ workstations are highly customizable, offering a range of features that you can mix and match to build your ideal configuration. It's the flexibility and functionality you need to easily expand to suit your evolving needs into the future. Not to mention, HP offers free shipping and returns every day, as well as free customer support 24-7, 365 days a year so you can get professional advice and support 
from the ones who know HP products best anytime at all. Just call them. And right now, you can get an exclusive offer just for my listeners. Get 15% off select HP workstations with Intel Core i5 processor when you go to hp.com slash Altucher and enter code Altucher at checkout. 15% off is quite a bit, by the way. That's hp.com slash Altucher and enter code Altucher to get 15% off select HP workstations. This special discount is valid through July 31st. Whether you have a small business that is looking to grow or you are established and ready to take the next step, HP's workstations with Intel Core i5 processors are for you. A special thanks to our new sponsor, Brooklinen. They are making sleep so easy for me, and I love to sleep. I just love it. For the average person, you spend one-third of your entire life sleeping. So the quality of sleep you get is really important. It impacts how you feel in the day, your energy levels, your brain function, everything. There are a lot of ways to improve sleep, but my favorite is having those nice, good-feeling sheets. Introducing brooklinen.com. These are high-quality sheets and bedding at a price that won't keep you up at night. Trust me, I love my Brooklinen sheets. Try these sheets, and I know you'll love them too. Brooklinen.com has an exclusive offer just for my listeners. Get $20 off and free shipping when you use promo code JAMES at Brooklinen.com. In fact, Brooklinen is so confident that you'll love your new sheets that they offer a risk-free 60-night satisfaction guarantee and a lifetime warranty on all of their sheets and comforters. There's really no reason not to give these sheets a try. The only way to get $20 off and free shipping is to use promo code James at brooklinen.com. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com, promo code James. Brooklinen, these are the best sheets ever. How did you meet the guy you were playing tennis with? <laughs> Actually, I met him through Bobby. Okay, so so He's basically insane. when someone is a worthwhile connection, you know, okay, you know, there's this saying, you're the average of the five people you surround yourself with. So you know this good bo- mm. guy, Bobby, is a good guy mm. and he's good at networking and good at connections. So it, I don't want to use the word milk because that sounds uh, uh, negative. But basically, you know, if I keep on pushing this guy mm-hmm. for more and more connections and meetings. And connections is the one word. That's not even what you do. It's like, okay, I just want to be friends with these guys. Oh, I want to know who you know. And, and I'm going to play tennis with them. And remember, James, I was a, I, I was kind of a, a self-taught banker slash investor slash hedge fund manager slash private equity person. Like I had no background in any of this. But you didn't know, you didn't know anything. I'm not, just going to call you out. Not, <laughs> you, you didn't know, when you were going to Russia, it's like you said, you didn't know what, uh, uh, Alice Walton wanted to invest in, uh, essentially she wanted to do what's called trade finance and IBM's transactions in Russia. Exactly. You probably had no clue what that meant, right? The liquid securities for some stupid bank in Russia, you had no clue. The India fund, what were they investing in? You had no clue. Yeah. A hedge fund, how do you run that? I know, Rich Abbey, you're different than Rich. Rich is hardcore. <laughs> like, we're going to trade volatility around these crappy investments we have, like, and we'll score alpha. So, you didn't do that, right? That's and 
But you knew how to network. I remember the first time we met, um, we were at your hedge fund. I was, it was long after actually I had invested in you because I knew Rich. And, um, but then I met you through Rich and I was pitching you guys some idea and you basically sat down and said, okay, well, what do you do that's different from other people? How, you were always trying to think of like what's different, what's unique, and then how to take advantage of that. Yeah, that's right. Let me, this will really connect us. You're going to be surprised by this because it's somebody we both know. Remember Tommy uh, Satner yeah. who tells an incredible story. I hope that maybe you'll be interested to have him on your show. I, yeah, know, yeah. You, I know you wrote about him, but he's an incredible person. Um, and, and he's like, um, uh, I, I would say, if you want to know about, I don't know, police <laughs> and no. the world's, the U- U.S. situation for, in terms of law enforcement, this is the guy. No, yeah, um, think Blue Bloods. His grandfather was a captain. His father was police captain in Newark. His brother was head of the New Jersey State Troopers, currently head of the Port Authority Security. Um, his cousins, his uncles, I mean, it's all law enforcement. Okay, so I have to unpack that. It seems like the way you, um, in, in order to understand who are the five people I should be around and, and look at for connections, it seems like in several cases you just used either family or college, which is like almost like a familiar relationship. It's that relationship right after family to kind of predetermine these are good people to know. And if I'm interested in doing the place I am in my life right now is do I want to do business with them? Is it fun? Is it something that I do? I trust this person. Um, does he have? Is he ethical? Like, is this someone that I can spend time with? Um, Tommy just happened to be that kind of person. I got to know him over the months, uh, six months, seven, almost a year. And then you'll love this part because you remember Woody Norris who started LRA, um, the yeah, yeah. Long Range Acoustical Device. He's been on 60 Minutes. He's done uh, his Discovery Channel. He really made, created a new way, a new form of sound. He right, so created I, I, directional sound. I wrote about them, his company in 2005, maybe in the Financial Times, uh, LRAD. Uh, and I remember I was talking to either you or an analyst for your fund on the phone and he made a weapon that like a mile away or a half a mile away, I can shoot you and the people standing right next to me won't be affected, but I'll hear a sound so great, it'll knock me out. Woody not only created that, but before that, Bluetooth, digital recorder, some of the key patents in ultrasound, um, uh, sonograms. Um, he's a incredibly, you talk about self-taught. How'd you meet he's him? A, I met him because he was the CEO or the developer of Long Range Acoustical Device, which was American technology at the time. That's how we first met. But I kept a relate. He was a special person. I kept a relationship. But even with though him. that stock failed, it didn't. Though it depends when you were involved. Okay. When we were involved, it was a almost a billion dollar market cap before they decided. Remember, he was doing directional sound for. Um, it's it, it digital signage for like if you're at Walmart and you wanted to hear about Coca Cola, would pay to shoot a Coca Cola message right in your ear. That was Does that, that work. Um, it does work. It works okay. fabulously. So if so, I'm walking by Walmart, you're, you're walking by Walmart, and Coke wants to sell you Coca Cola. You only hear that Coca Cola advertising. So I've they never sell heard that. I digital that. signage market. Yeah, no, it was projected to be a huge business. Woody was just absolutely just going down that path, and the CIA approached him and said, "Hey, can you make this directional sound into a weapon, a non-lethal weapon? Of course." And he said, let me take a shot at it. And he made it. He got an opening owner from the army to put $5 million worth of those things into the Afghanistan. I think it was in Afghanistan in that, in that war. I'm not sure it was Afghanistan. So they were using it to clear out Moss, send warnings to people. And then it developed. Then they started putting it on Navy ships. And now today, it's on every single Navy vessel in the U.S. in the fleet. Um, 
It's in 28 other navies around the world. Really? It's going to be- Is that Elrad still? It's on Elrad. I mean, he's stock still out there? Hundreds of millions of dollars worth this. And I think it's time for Elrad right now. I just sat down with management this week. Um, sorry, last week. And um, I hadn't been briefed. I've owned the stock for a decade. Um, I have had a very large position in that company. and just be, But now it really feels like it's a time for Elrad, which is obviously a different story. But this is the part I want to tell you. Tommy's connecting to law enforcement. I saw it with my own eyes. I thought to myself, wait a second. Woody talked about doing a handheld sound weapon years ago. And I'm reading all this stuff about police brutality and all these problems that communities are having in policing. And thought to myself, wow, if we could come up with that. And I always believed that handheld um, Better than sound Taser. Weapon. Way better because Taser's killing people. Taser kills one And you person. have to be close to the person. Taser, you have to be within five to 25 feet. But the worst news about Taser is they're calling it non-lethal. But guess what? It kills one person a week. Yeah, Taser kills one person a week. It's horrible. Because cops feel like they can use it they and can, then it kills people with a heart attack. It kills people. I mean, and you don't have to go far to find this information out. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to come up with something that could be my brother's in law enforcement. Um, I have a lot of Tommy's in law enforcement. I built a lot of friends in law enforcement. I saw- How'd you Tom meet Tommy? Um, God, you're really getting in there. Um, That's I'm, because, you know, uh, why, you know why I get in there is not so much like I'm trying to get your stories. I want to know how to do it. Like yeah. I'm, I, I go to Russia and it doesn't work out. I'm like, okay, I'll sightsee for the next four days. You're telling me there's something better to do. I go to China for like one <laughs> meeting. I'm thinking, okay, I'm just going to like relax in my hotel room for the rest of the time just to prepare for this one meeting. Mm -hmm. But you're saying, no, I'm going to go meet also the biggest handset manufacturer in the world and hook them up with my patent company and then call a random guy at DST who knows my tennis playing friend mm -hmm. who met with, yeah. who was in college with my other guy from 20 years right. ago. Right. I don't do this. You I do something I I that I would never okay. do. And I'm semi-successful. You're hugely successful because this is what you do. It's not because you have this extra knowledge about the technology or about business. This is your mutant skill. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I guess hard to explain, but I think you're, you're, you're getting there. You're getting there. I'm realizing it myself just by talking to you because I don't really talk about this so right. often. So it's interesting that you're bringing all this up. So, 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 yeah, so how do you know how Tommy? Me, Tommy? So, I'm invested in a, a, a beverage, um, no sugar, no calorie drink. Um, we're rolling out with Disney. Um, it's called True Drinks. And I'm on the board. I've had a substantial investment. I brought in some of my friends in it as well. Now we have a lot of money in this, probably between us and my friends, we're, we're, we're my group and, and the, the whole group of us must have 30 or $40 million in this at this point. Um, and we're rolling out. So um, the CEO, the, the former CEO, Kevin Sherman, Wanted me to meet one of his friends, Tommy um, Setner. Why? Why did he think of he you? Just, we just—it was a random dinner. It was a random dinner. To, Kevin's in town from California, actually from Colorado at the time. He wanted we we got together just to talk and hang out and and just have you know just have conversation. So, so by the way, you you go to the random dinners and I like do, like yeah. I don't. Someone calls me up. Oh, we're in town. We're gonna have a random dinner. I'm I'm ninety ten. I'm not gonna go. I see. I see. I see. <laughs> so yeah. you go to all of the random. No, dinners. Not all selected. Kevin, I love. So right. Kevin's a dear friend of mine. So Kevin asked me to dinner, and I've got availability. I'm there. Yeah. So he introduced me to Tommy. You'll go uh, to two or three dinners a night. I've seen it. Ah, uh, that's one. Okay. So fair enough. But I try not to do those anymore. Yeah. But uh, I have. Um, Tommy um, explains to me. I mean, just have this random conversation about what he does, what he's doing. Um, he was working with body cameras at the time and you know, just learned more and more about him. I was fascinated by his story. You've heard his story. His story's moving. Um, the guy is just a 
a fantastic person through and through. He's honest. He's got high levels of integrity, and just his stories when he was in the when he was on the narcotic squad, or when he was working with the FBI, or whatever, whoever he was working with at the time. And by the way, fascinating. And I'm sorry to you and to the listeners. I interrupt so much, but I'm I'm filling in some gaps where I know you're skipping over. You're using your gut to vet the person because Tommy's also somebody who a lot of people don't like, or he's had he's run, had his run in like many people in law enforcement. Right. He's also had his run ins with the law. He does not Google well. Tommy yeah. does not Google well. So, so you very much rely on your own gut to determine if someone's you know worthy of you doing business with. That's right. And I looked at some of who his friends are, and, and one of his dear friends is Michael Paris, who. Um, and, and, and Shaquille O'Neal and him and Shaq have I mean, just spent a lot of time together. They've worked on charities together. They've done some business together. So I've seen that. And, I, and sh- as you know, Shaquille is, Mike and Shaquille have done, spent, well, Mike has spent his career in law enforcement. Shaquille is very much behind. Um, he's a, a sheriff ne- in LA, right? Or, or he's, he's got a badge in LA. Well, I think he's got multiple badges, but he just announced last week that he's going to be a sheriff in 2020, which is a lot of responsibility. So I'm really looking forward to seeing him do that. But just last week on Monday, Tommy set up a meeting with, um, we, oh, let's, I'm sorry, let's just go back a little bit. So we created a new uh, weapon. We're not even calling it a weapon, it's a device. You haven't seen it yet, or maybe you have, but I can't wait to show it to you later after we're done here today. Yeah. But um, this is not, this is an, a real authentic non-lethal. This will not kill you. What it is, is a seven and a half foot piece of Kevlar firing out of something that looks like your iPhone and it fires the speed of bullets. Woody Norris, the inventor of directional sound, it's came up with this. Um, we've got, we patented it up, you know, through and through and we can basically completely entangle you with this piece of Kevlar where you cannot move. You cannot. It's kind of like it's, Wonder Woman's lasso. Kind of, it was. We had we were throwing around the lasso uh, originally, but now we're calling it the bola wrap. You've seen the bolas where they throw I, them I and they wrap you around. Were, you, you were remember? looking at this a year ago. It wasn't quite a hundred percent yet. It not only okay today. I fire this. You're getting wrapped. You cannot move. What if I'm running? If you're running, it's a it's a little bit of a tougher shot because your legs are moving, your arms are moving. But if I come to you and say, put your hands up over your head, and you don't, what are you going to do as a cop? I'm going to come over with my billy club and smack you in the head. I'm going to taser you. I could kill you or right. I've got to come and come into battle with you. I've got to wrestle you to the ground, hit you in the head or maybe choke you and then put you in cuffs. That's not so easy to do. Right. Your choices are limited. Now I can just look at you straight in the face and just boom and it's over. You are wrapped up and you cannot move. How does I the th- Kevlar fit inside uh, the, uh, something like a phone? Um, you'll, like I, have, I have to show you. It's packed in and it's got these hooks on it. Um, the, the, the chamber of which it fires, it's a crisscrossing chamber. It's, we're using gunpowder to fire. It fires basically seven feet. So it really can't miss you. And as soon as it hits the target, it just wraps around you and you cannot move. So what is a guy, I mean, you met him like, let's say 13, 15 years ago. I remember you guys were in the stock like a long time ago, the, his original stock. And he's this big guy, blue tooth, blue tooth inventor. And then the LRAD stuff. Uh, but you do what I call the soft touch. Like you'll just every month, every couple of weeks kind of get in touch and say, hey, how's it going? Now, not everybody might respond, but the people who respond, you keep in the circle and you keep thinking of things for them to do and be involved in. And that's part of the networking technique. I hadn't talked to him in maybe seven, eight, maybe 10 years. I hadn't spoken to Woody. But what's interesting, if I 
He just picked up the he picked up my call. So because you were doing the soft touch, you're like te- you were at some point. Just, I don't know how many times you kept in touch with him. Then we, but at we, some so point we you were, called and said, "How's it going?" We were brothers ten years ago. We talked all the time, but he left the company. We we brought an operator in, by the way, yeah. um, who didn't operate so well. He did well with the cash position, but never grew the business. Woody is a grower. Woody is an inventor. That guy has had a string of successes, and um, and um, I'm just in a blast to be doing business with him now. And I think we've created something really special that could change the way law enforcement community kind of engages going forward. This is a non-lethal device. We're launching it in a couple of weeks. I'm sorry, probably two months. Um, so, so okay, you 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 found the inventor, and you came you came up with an idea that you need because this was in your head, but you got some of the idea for this invention from Tommy, a, a specialist in law enforcement and a former police officer, mm-hmm. captain, whatever. His whole family was captains and this and that yeah um so you connected them together to basically produce an invention which now you have the expertise you created into a company maybe it'll go public maybe not maybe it'll merge it into something and who else did you connect into this deal mike paris mm-hmm. who i just mentioned who was on the narcotic squad with tommy who'd done a lot of work with his um with, with shaquille um so shaquille o'neal's involved in the deal he's he's not involved Financially, but he knows very clearly what we're doing, and we're mm-hmm. going to be talking to him how we're going to launch and where when we're going to launch. Um, we were just with the international. We were with the police chiefs down in Washington last week, meeting with the the um, the, the the whole the the two people that run the international police chiefs. How'd you get in touch with them, Tommy? Of course, okay. Tommy has a relationship with him. So does Mike. Um, we met with the, a, a number of well, a handful of super chiefs. I don't want to mention which ones, but we're talking about how we're going to launch this. And you go to all the meetings. I go to, I go to all the meetings, right? Yeah. Now. I go to all the meetings. I love it. It's, um, as you know, my brothers and just said, my brothers in law enforcement, I'm having a really good time with this. This for me is not about the money. Yes, it's nice that there's going to be financial reward with this if successful. Taser has a billion and a half dollar market cap. And this, in my opinion, that non-lethal weapon they're using really is not non-lethal. Call it what it is. It's a lethal weapon and it works well and it I, protects and saves lives. That's fine. But we need something. The society needs something that's just a little less yeah. lethal. <laughs> Actually, to live up to the non-lethal. Right. If you're going to call it non-lethal, it should be non-lethal. If you Why say, don't they use mace or something like that? They do, but it doesn't work. Okay. It sprays the cops back in the face. There's a uh, lot of problems with mace. We've done a lot of testing on this. We've surveyed a lot of police officers um, a lot of people in law enforcement. We've done a lot of work on this. Um, the videos, um, uh, we're, the, the beautiful thing about this engagement device is what we're calling it, uh, Bola Wrap. It's wrapping every single time now. I mean, wow. which is just phenomenal. So think about it as just handcuffs, but I don't have to actually put my hands on you. People don't like to put their, people don't like when people put their hands on you. Yeah, you making don't a lot like, of violence around yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, you saw what happened um, last year in New York with that case where the, the guy was the cops started putting their hands on the guy, and the guy was like, "Get off me, get off me!" I forget his name. It was all over the news. And they got they, killed, or they yeah, they choked him? him out. I mean, they had six cops on this big guy, and they just sent him to the ground. I think it was his name, Eric. Um, I forget his name, but it was horrible. It was and it was all for the world to watch. It could have been avoided. One shot to the legs, one shot to the torso. It's over. But so so I feel like a lot of these situations. I mean, obviously in the beginning when you had no money, it's about like how can I make some money? Right. And obviously you were interested in money. That's why you were working for a bank. You were connecting people up on deals. But I feel like the real way to you made the money was you got out of the you got out of bed not with the idea oh I'm going to try to make some money today, but I'm going to try to. 
you, you had additional meaning in your life. Like in this case, how can I um, connect people so this idea of a non-lethal weapon can come to life? And the side effect is going to be money. You're going to connect, oh, I knew this guy from 15 years ago. Uh, I knew this guy because he's the brother of this police chief and my brother's in law enforcement and so on. I know this guy because I played tennis with him because I met him through this family and blah, blah, blah. It seems like you spread the seeds around, whatever seeds start to grow, you hit the accelerator on that as much as possible. And then you try to connect them. You, you try to connect the dots. Let's say everybody comes to dinner. By the way, I'm going to go to dinners. They invite me to, I'm going to go to the, then I'm going to get back from this dinner. I'm going to go to this wedding. Like when you raise money for a fund, I don't know who raised money for your first funds, but I imagine it Mostly was you. Rich and, yeah. And Rich did too. I mean, both of us, but yeah, a lot of them came from the original vertical ventures. The, the, uh, Merchant bank that was started, you know, and because you would meet these like the children of these big families, and then you would just keep going or to not, their weddings or and not, their not, bar mitzvahs. And, I wouldn't say the children. A lot of times, the principals uh-huh. just just going around on a deal or something, knowing what they're interested in, just connecting dots back to the original thing, just connecting dots. But I want to be able to look back. It'd be just fun, whether it's an oil discovery and the, that we have onshore, offshore in Europe or wherever it is, or to introduce a, a non-lethal. A, a new way for law enforcement community to engage. Those are things that we can look back and just smile and just say, wow, I did that. Like well, that's part of it as well. Just just not necessarily money related, but just a accomplishment. Well, I want to mention uh, the, the company. Uh, I won't mention the name of the company, but like one of your companies uh, just struck oil. And it's like one of the first oil, actual oil finds in the US in a long time, right? I don't know the stats on this, but... Um, uh, it's traditional. It's not like fracking. It's like you just you went to an. You basically had a business idea. Let's find a bunch of fields that produce hundreds of millions of barrels. They're all abandoned now because of peak oil theory in the U.S. Turns out, with new technology, you can find oil still. You bought a bunch of these fields when they were bankrupt, and now you just struck oil again. But you, again, you're not the operator. When you were the operator, it was it was okay, but it wasn't great. Now you have like guys who were who are hardcore oil operators. Like, how did you find them? Right, so um, I launched that private equity fund that just invested in oil and gas, right? Hard assets. Um, We were doing everything from land leasing to calling the drillers and running all the G&G and operations. We were operators and non-op and all over the US. I mean, we had like nine basins going. That was me being a little too ambitious. My timing was off. I didn't have the right people around me. Um, I probably should have cut it and not gone back. It's one of the things that you have to learn. Like, do you just want to keep just gutting it out and going or should you cut off? It? Well, it wasn't until the very end of that fund where I started realize, putting myself with, in a group, a different crew, John Rodney, who you met a couple of times, yeah, I believe. Very good guy. And started learning more about the business in a different way, in a much more scientific way. Um, the really 3D, three-dimensional driven, really taking images of old fields and be able to model out the reservoir. Never did that before. So let me let me unpack that a little bit. So you obviously didn't know the technology. So you meet a guy who you vet in various- I knew of the technology, but we never used, put it to work. We were going after shale like everybody else. I was going after shale projects. I had eight or nine shale projects going in that fund and on a direct basis. So I never had used 3D to right, really go Shell out to was a whole, whole different thing. It was a thing. huge business. I mean, and now was, it's gone. It's no, Shell's not gone. Shell's still a huge business. We're doing something very different than Shell, which is, Shell doesn't really deploy right. 3D. But, but, but you met this guy who 
had run a, a billion dollar oil company that had fallen on hard times. He may pulled some money out of it, but not as much as he's like. You also vetted he's heavily involved in charity, right? Very and much. and you knew what his charitable goals were and why he wanted to stay in the business and and do good again. He gets you involved with the 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 world's experts on the technology plus other operators in the business. You start together. I mean, you were traveling around the world. You would like say, okay, I'm going to Ireland tomorrow, and then you go to California, and then you go to Oklahoma. Yeah. You were flying to every single oil field. You yeah. put in the work. And I put in the work, and I had enough trust in John, and his, and I saw who he surrounded himself with, the people that he was bringing to the table, the people at the asset level in California, a delightful, very talented group of people, former head of exploration at Apache, Conoco, I mean, just really different professionals that I was working with in the past. In uh, Osage in uh, Oklahoma, um, Scott DeJarm has just been there his whole career. He's honest. John invested with him. Um, Scott and Mike, I mean, they're great operators and I see how they work. And um, so the teams are different. They're aligned on the investment. And now with the G&G team, the seismic that we're deploying, we see the reservoir like I've never seen before. So I am at a place in my career where what a great opportunity with regards to the hydrocarbon business, what a great opportunity to come and see if this can actually play out. Now I know what I'm doing. My eyes are wide open. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But at least I have a fair shot. My confidence is really high. Well, you stuck oil done. two weeks ago. It was a really good find. We have another discovery that is going on right now as we speak, a completely different discovery than the one that we had two weeks ago. So, and then we have some very, the, the one that we're, the discoveries that we're drawing now are fairly shallow. We're in a place where we're right offsetting a field that made 300 million barrels. We found new structures. We're, def we're, we're trying to validate those structures, but we did two weeks ago. The one that we're drawing now, we'll know probably this week if it's another discovery. But then we move on at the end of this month into California. And those are 16,000 foot, one of them 16,000 feet deep. It's going to take a couple months to drill. The other one's 9,500 feet. These are huge structures. No one's ever seen them before because they've never been imaged. But you can see from the technology. We can see them. So um, it wasn't just shooting them seismically. It was acquiring them. We had a theory. We had an idea. We acquired all the land. We put it together. Then we shot it. Then we analyze it, we reprocess it, and now and you were able it. to acquire the land because everyone thought, oh, there's no more oil left in the U.S. They drilled it 50 years ago. No right, one's, no one's touched a drill, but no one's drilled like this in decades. So, so let's summarize because there's a lot Onshore. of there's a lot of different deals and there's a lot of different successes. <laughs> Basically, uh, you, you you got into town, you cold called, <laughs> you never really cold called after that. It's like suddenly then you started putting together the pieces of all these people. You 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 doubled down on the people who were actually you were they were honest and providing value and I guess over time you dropped the people who don't who who maybe turn out to be dishonest or don't provide value because you you run into those too and I've seen you run into those plenty of them uh, yeah too there, many of them there's, there's probably it's hard to determine like I always find it's hard to determine on for a while if someone's a bad guy or not um, but once you realize it then you gotta drop yeah, them and yeah. plus their network you kind of have to cut their 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 whole branch from the tree. And, 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 and you do the same thing. Look at you. I mean, look at our relationship, right? Yeah. I mean, like we got to know each other. We met through Rich and we built our own relationship over the last 10 years or so. And it's yeah. gotten stronger and stronger. We got tr more trusting. So you're doing the same thing. I'm sure you've run into guys that you just prefer not to be associated with and you caught them. Yeah, and then I also the other thing is too, relationships build over time. Like you mentioned with Woody, um, the LRAD guy, you called him, you picked up the phone after 10 years. Or the DST guys, you didn't maybe you didn't talk to them for 15 years, but you had something to offer and you're always able to just be 
friendly and welcoming and, oh, okay, we, we worked together on that time. Now let's take a look at this. You're not like an overly sale. You're not in sales mode ever. You're not trying to sell anybody anything. You're just trying to say, hey, there's an idea. This might be interesting to you. And it's a, usually a good idea that someone or you have come up with and you're just trying to share it with as many people as possible. With some groups, like the people you raise money from, I feel like you build long-term relationships and you spend a lot of time going to their events and stuff just to kind of keep them in the mix of what you're doing so that when you have to raise money for something, I mean, obviously socially you enjoy being with them, but then they come through when you're raising money for something. So like what else in the networking is what, what, if someone's sitting listening to this, what should they start doing if they want to improve their network outside of their, you know, their cubicle mates? I think it's really important to be able to quantify what you're doing during the day and where you want to go. So you got to keep account of of how you're spending your time. That's the mm. most important thing. So that's why that's I write really down. I write down everything. So every day starts off with the the time, the day, and you know we get to the let's get through the day. Like what are we doing today? And so there's got to be some accountability, lessons learned, written. So you actually know are you moving the needle or not. Do you do that every day? Every day. So every day you write down lessons learned that I move the needle and who I met, what did I learn from them? Who what 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 do you keep track of like their what like do you do that classic thing where like oh I met this person, his wife's name is this. No, 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 no. It's just random notes how I'm feeling. It's mm-hmm. gotten a little bit more um uh, more feelings oriented than just like got to do this, got to do that, got to do this, you know, mm-hmm. just get a to-do list. But now I've combined it, the two. I, I find myself like um, using some emotion and some business and putting them together, and it's actually much more powerful than I ever knew. So it's kind of a new discovery. What, what do you What do you mean? So um, my relationships, um, just combining the way that I'm in a relationship and looking at how I do my work and how my how I do my business. Um, I'm feeling there's a lot of parallels between the two, and. Um, like and, in terms of being relationship driven or yeah and 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 how to improve those relationships and some deeper work on myself um that I feel has made me a more effective business person like what um really um some of the meditation um that I've been getting into through uh, through Jonathan I'm just taking a 20 minute time 20 minutes out of the day and just quieting it all down has been incredibly beneficial I mean just the, Yeah the, you've the, noticed the actual results I know I because you're able to kind of stop yourself mid thought if you're like in a bad situation with somebody for instance so that's been helpful but the biggest thing James is the awareness mm-hmm. I learned how to be more aware of myself things that I was doing my bad habits maybe one of the things that you started off with maybe one of your bad habits that you learned either from your mother or father might have been just guessing that you would avoid confrontation yeah you either got that from your mom or dad where do you think you got it from had it come from somewhere probably my mom okay so you learned it from your mother and that's the way you dealt with conflict yeah right and that's ruined a lot of relationships for me and so do you do anything to are you aware of that I think I'm aware of it. I think the way I deal with it is like this, like for instance, how we're sitting down here. Uh, I've been wanting to for a year sit down with you or at least day one, I wanted to return your call. Like, oh, it's Scott. We're just going to hang out tomorrow. And then I just postponed it a day and that sent me spiraling down this this horrible thing where the only way I could apologize was to actually have you on my podcast. This weird, awkward way to apologize is have is 
do it on a live recording, or not a live recording, but a recording. So, okay, got it. Well, I'm thankful this is the way you did it. And, 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 and I'm not sure it's the best way, but it's right, your it's way. It's not the now. best way. So maybe, perhaps, if it's a bad habit, it means you're not going to stop, right? So it's going to continue. So here's, I'm, I'm kind of answering a question. Yeah. What kind of work did I do? The kind of work that I did was working on my bad habits, real, sourcing where they came from. In my case, they came from my mother, father, in your case as well, for the most yeah. part, which came from their parents. Right. Right. So um, that procrastination slash just avoidance, that controversy, the avoid conflict that you mentioned in the very beginning. How do you, how now that you're, you, you know you're aware of, you know you do it, what are you doing about it? How are you changing it? Are you working on it? Are you work, have you identified some ways to change that bad pattern? I think I have to work on it more. The combination of the non-confrontation with also, I think I could just be better at networking. Like I, I sort of know a lot of people by default somehow and so do you, but I don't think I cultivate it as much as you do. But you just went off subject. So we were okay. talking about you with the bad habit, right? So you were having- Right, so I was avoiding maybe And you were avoiding it. it right there. You just did it right in front of all of us. Yeah. You went from- you had a bad habit and you wanted to avoid that confrontation because you, of just me calling you out and you went to networking, you went to business and I did the same thing. I shielded Right, because it feels personal. painful. Yeah, it's painful. You don't want to talk about that. You don't want to deal with it. You don't have to address it. So you use business to cover it up. That's something I've changed now. Or some people use exercise to cover it up. You don't. Maybe you read or write. Um, those are just kind of short-term fixes. The question is how do you get in there and change that pattern? So how do you do that? Oh God, that that, that has I mean, awareness have to be, is key. Obviously. Awareness. I mean, just just knowing where it comes from, and you'll have many more bad patterns, and I'm sure you have a lot more. I'm sure the list is long. I didn't realize it how many bad patterns I had that were sourced from my mom or dad until I spent a good week working on it, which is a whole nother discussion. But um, that awareness um, has personally had a big impact on me because now when something comes up and I know it's a bad habit, I stop it. I recognize it. And I do some things to try to alter it. And like what's a bad habit you have right now? Tunnel vision. Tunnel vision's a bad habit. Um, I just go and go and go until I get it right and I don't give up. And so sometimes people think that's great, but um, it doesn't always work out the way you want it to. So if you're so set on something, so set that like what's it's got to work. Um, Got to have. Oh, I hate to bring it into business. So let's take a re- let's take a relationship because business is simple. Yeah. Like okay, the relate the deal didn't work. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to fix. I have a bad habit of trying to fix deals. Right, fix the deal. Fix like you were this. working on China and oil for I years. I wouldn't stop. I this one company that you're referring to. It's taken me a decade. I don't yeah. stop. And sometimes you just need to stop. Um, and I didn't, and that could be a bad habit because you get so fixated on it, the success yeah. or determined to have a success when it doesn't work it could break you it takes a lot to break but when you break it could be it could it could have a lot of bad posts so you, you, that that breaking effect could take you down emotionally and mentally so you got to be very careful there's a balance so the tunnel vision like when it all costs i'm not sure that's the healthiest thing um the the having that so so that one of my bad habits was complete tunnel vision I wouldn't I had just have the blinders on until it worked. Well, that could take two years, three years, four years, five years. Now I just have better senses, spend time with better people. I'm just optimizing right. everything. Like, and, and and if one thing is not working, you have a bunch of things going on now, you can be more flexible. I can be more flexible and in my, you know, and and how that kind of translates into my relationships is or my relation yeah, my, my relationships is I'm more conscious of 
what they're doing. So I'm more aware. Like for instance, last year, I wouldn't have any bit of a catch what you were doing with your backing off of confrontation, like and and how I just saw it like you just switched right there in front of me. So I never would have caught that. So I'm more aware now in these types of in and in, in just in a more aware person by working on myself. So I think that's really helped me in my work. Um connecting more dots. I think I'm a better dot connector than I ever have been. Which is And you were good then. You've always been good. Yeah. And so I now that I've done this work, I think now I'm just really getting started. Now I feel like my base is the strongest it's ever been. So 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 two quick questions and then and and they'll be easy. Well one will be easy, one will be hard. The first one will be hard. Uh uh someone sitting listening to this is thinking, boy, this is great. This guy's done good work. It's been over 20 years. I'm I'm 40, 50, 55 years old. I'd like to start going in a direction like where Scott's going. What what are the first steps they could do? There's self-awareness. There's kind of making a kind of almost a diary at the end of the day of what they've learned, what they have, and who they've met, who they haven't. What 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 else can they do? Should they start holding dinners? Should they start hmm. figuring out who's good and doubling down on those relationships? Should they start coming up with ideas to connect people? What should they do? I think the first thing is do that self-work. Just just really try to dial in on who you are and where you want to go. Because if you don't have that right, you're never going to be able to get off first base. You've got to get that right before right. You, your base has got to be strong on yourself first. Because otherwise, I think it'll be too much about money. It'll be too graspy. Too, too short term. Yeah. This is fundamental. It takes a while. You've mm-hmm. got to have patience to play this out. So give yourself the time. You're not going to get a quick fix. Nothing's going to happen in three months right. or a year. It's going to take years. So get that fundamental work done on yourself first, and then you can start growing. Write down where you want to go. If you don't write stuff down, how are you going to go anywhere? You're not going to remember where you came from. So you got to remember where you came from. So you just nailed the first two. And surround yourself with great people. I don't care if it's a plumber. I don't care if he's a construction worker. I don't care if he's a teacher, a yoga teacher, a somebody that you met and at, the, at the grocery store. It doesn't matter, but just make sure they're just kind. It, it involves, though, going out there and meeting a lot of people to filter out the ones who it, are good people to spend time with. And I suggest that those people that you decide to spend time on, make sure they're aligned with where you want to go. Mm-hmm. So... Whatever and I've seen direction. you do this in relationships too. It is, yeah. And um, like, if someone, if you're in a relationship with somebody who's not um, supportive of your networking, that's not going to work out for you. That's not going to work out. Um, and and support of me as a person. It's not just yeah. networking me as of who I am. Yeah. And so, and 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 just as important, I want to know who they are and where they're going. So that's back to awareness. So it's not just all about me; it's about them as well. And that's something that I've learned in the last couple of years that I think is making me on the relationship side the best I've ever been. Because I remember when we had one dinner, there was a, you were dating a woman who I thought was like perfect. Yes. And <laughs> and just the entire dinner, she was looking in the other direction. I hope you're not going out with her right now. <laughs> no, she, is. she was the entire time. Here we have like the most fascinating people in the room. And, uh, you know, you had a, a novelist there, a professional basketball player. Your friend Tommy was there. All these great people. And, and you loved her. And you were like going yeah, on Yeah, I was on like, her. why is he not just proposing <laughs> to her immediately? And 
But she was, but I, she was sitting next to me, and I saw she was just looking the entire direction, yeah. like to, to emptiness the entire yeah. time. And it was really funny. I, I hadn't looked back. I knew there was something wrong at that dinner, but I hadn't looked back at the pictures that showed her looking off, never looking anybody in the face, and she wanted to leave. That really solidified. That was the prior about writing down. It was recorded, like because here it is. Like there's no denying the facts. She might have been having a bad night, but. That was a judgment call like that's not going to work. Yeah. Um, but you love this connecting dot story. You haven't met her yet, but um, uh, it's a very special person that's back in New York. And I dated her 10 years ago when I was back in Miami. And I am lucky enough to have connected that dot again. And uh, we are back and we are stronger than ever. That's and I great. I think it's a lot of has to do with my awareness and about myself and well i meet others. her do you really forgive me oh i do okay. forgive you All and right. you will definitely meet her and 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 the final question is um a lot of people don't believe me that i threw out all my belongings and then basically just moved in to like a room in one of your apartments and then from there i started airbnb can you just tell people i had i had nothing and i'm a successful guy i threw out everything i'm going to just say if we were on film right now, people could see the bag that I'm carrying. It's not a very big bag. Um, it's uh, maybe can hold 10 pounds of the stuff at maximum. I have brought with me everything in those drawers. I have your all your possessions. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, have, only, I left your place with like three, three <laughs> pair, two pairs of pants, two shirts, and like well, three t-shirts. Now you have two jackets to add to your collection. Well, I left and- them. Because I was throwing them out. <laughs> I know. So I don't even want them back, but well, I'll take a look at what you, you have. Must, they're not going to fit me, sadly. So they're beautiful things. I know where you got them. So um, I hope you wear, you look very sharp in them. So I see now you can add to your job. But it is true. James um, takes up very little space. He's uh, neat as neat can be. And he obviously, you know, if you're listening to the show, that he's a fascinating guy to talk to. He's got depth, he's got knowledge, um, and he's a brilliant guy. So it's a real pleasure to be here and spend this time with you. It well, really is. Scott, thanks for coming on the podcast. First time we see each other in about a year. I love it. So, I love it. Thank you. Thanks. Perfect. Wow, that was great. Yeah, that was, was awesome. Good. Yeah. That was really fun. For more from James, check out the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network at jamesaltucher.com and get yourself on the free insiders list today. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this interview. Before you go, I wanted to just say thank you to everyone who has rated and reviewed this podcast on iTunes. I really love reading these and thought it would be fun to share yet another review. Bernardo Bernal said, we listen to your podcast religiously condensed food for thought, and the formulas to access the best in life. My family in Italy and Spain listen to you as well. Muchas gracias. Grazie mille. I really, really can't thank you enough for your ongoing support and reviews. Thanks. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.